We're going to look at those passages together, but let's pray first before we do, and then we'll look at God's word together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to gather together uh, as your people. We pray uh, that as we open your word, uh, that you would be our teacher, that you would lead and guide us in all truth. We thank you for the, the gift of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would be moving freely in this place, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would take the eternal truth of your word and apply them to us right where we are this morning. And we pray that in doing so, that we would see you more clearly, that you'd be glorified in all that is said and done here. And we pray all of that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we are back in Ephesians, uh, we're going to be looking at those passages that Luke just read to us as we're working our way through Ephesians. If you haven't been with us or you're visiting, uh, we've just been working actually since the beginning of the year through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're on course to, I think, be done about the end of the summer. So we're getting close uh, to wrapping up Ephesians as we're now in Ephesians chapter five. And so what we're going to do the next couple weeks uh, so we're going to kind of focus in on a couple of verses out of what Luke just read. And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul mentions that a few times here in Ephesians. And so it's almost a series within a series. We're not leaving Ephesians, but we're going to kind of focus on the Holy Spirit. And so as we do this morning, before we jump into those passages, would you turn with me to John chapter 16? John chapter 16. And in the, the pew Bibles there, if you have the solid one, it's 526. If you've got the blue and white one, it's on page 587 if you'd like to follow along with me there. And so this is Jesus speaking uh, to his disciples the night before he will be crucified, actually just hours before he will be arrested. And so he's he's preparing them for that. He's going to no longer physically be with them. And so listen to what he says, beginning in verse seven of John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so Jesus says something really, really remarkable In that passage there, as he talks about the helper and the spirit of truth that is coming, he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and he's preparing the disciples that he's about to not be with them physically, bodily anymore. He's going to be crucified and laid in his grave and he'll rise three days later. He will be with them for a short time, but then he will ascend and he will no longer be physically with them. And the remarkable thing he says is there in verse seven, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And Jesus tells them it's better for me not to be physically with you. It's better for you to have the person and the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. 
And he says that to the disciples, preparing them for this shift that's about to happen. But through God's word, he says that to us today. It's to your advantage that Jesus has ascended and taken his place and his throne on high and now has sent us the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the question I want you to consider as we think about this this morning. Do you believe what Jesus says here? Do you believe it's to your advantage that it's better that we have the person and work of the Holy Spirit in light of Jesus's finished work rather than him physically standing here in front of us? And Jesus says this, and it's a remarkable thing to say when you start to think about what it is he's saying. And I want you just to consider why he would say that. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. And I want you just to, as we're thinking about why he said that and what it means, because Paul here is going to talk about being filled with the Spirit and what that means for us. And maybe you go, I'm not sure that I believe that, or I struggle to believe that. Or you may say, intellectually, I believe it, but I don't know that my experience in my life would back up the truth of that statement. And so I want us to consider this morning what it is Paul says here in Ephesians 4 and then Ephesians chapter 5. And so if you would look at verse 30 for just a second, we're really going to focus in on two verses. But then the context is going to help flesh this out, what it is he's saying. So chapter four, verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so all believers, when you come to faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in full. He comes in and he's now indwelling and with you at all times and always. And you have the Holy Spirit in you. This teachings throughout the, the Bible. Paul will say and talk about this quite a lot. You can read about it in, in Romans chapter 8. And so we have the Holy Spirit. And he says, so do not grieve the Holy Spirit whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. But then look at verse 18 in chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in those two verses, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think, would be synonymous of everything that we've been looking at the last uh, month or so in chapter four and now in chapter five. Because as we've been reading through those and we've been looking at that, uh, the way we break down Ephesians chapter one, two and three, a lot of theology, a lot of big ideas, big teachings about who God is and how we relate to him in Jesus. And then we get to chapter four and it's practical application of what it looks like to live it out. And so as we've gotten to that more practical application in chapter four and then in chapter five, it talks about walking in a manner that's worthy uh, to what you've been called at the beginning of chapter four. He says, no longer walk like the Gentiles do, but in this newness of life that you have, you walk in this way. Or he'll say, don't walk in the darkness, but now walk in the light. Put off your old self, put on your new self. Right. And we've been looking at all these different things that he says and what it looks like to follow God in every area of your life. And it's synonymous to what he's saying here about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to think about that statement of what he says here. He makes this, this kind of comparison and contrast. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be drunk on wine, but instead be filled 
with the Holy Spirit and why he says that and what he's aiming at. And so today's kind of big picture idea of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the next couple of weeks, we'll dig in deeper of how we actually grow in that, how we continue to live in sight in light of what he's calling us to live in. And so this is a couple weeks, couple parts here, but this is the big idea to begin with. And so let's just think about that idea. <clears throat> he says in verse 18 about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So look at that verse one more time. Verse 18 of chapter five. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And he's going to make a comparison and kind of a contrast here about being drunk with wine versus being filled with the spirit. And may say comparison how does that work? How is it comparable to being drunk that he would say that? And, and I think there is a reason why, and it makes it makes some sense. And, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But before we do, I want to touch on just this idea of alcohol and its use before we jump into it. So this is like the, the sermon within the sermon. This is the free one. You get like two minutes. It'll be quick. But the Bible says a lot about alcohol. But what it says is, is it's not I don't believe it's completely prohibited. If you grew up in a Baptist church, don't leave or get upset. Just a second. It's, it's OK. But what it says is it's OK if it's done in a way that that is not to excess. Right. That's what it's talking about here. Do not be drunk on wine for that is debauchery. That has to do with with overindulgence. And so I think the Bible would say it's OK to have an alcoholic drink if you're not doing it to the place that you're now inebriated. That you're now drunk or, or an overindulgence. But then it also tells us and it, it clearly gives this 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 image that it's that it's not smart or it's not wise if you're prone to excess. If that's something in your life that you would struggle with and you can't just have a drink or two and it becomes something that's excess, then don't do that. The Proverbs are filled with this. Proverbs says wine is a mocker and strong drink, a brawler and whoever led astray by it is not wise. Right? It says you're a fool. It says that over and over in Proverbs or elsewhere in, in Proverbs chapter six. And it's not talking directly about drinking in this proverb, but it's applicable here. It says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Right? And, and that's a good summary of if you struggle with excess, then don't go there. It's not helpful. It's unwise. It's going to lead to problems and bad decisions and all sorts of things. And so the Bible's pretty clear on this. If it's moving to a place of excess, then don't do it. But there's one other principle I want you to consider when we talk about alcohol. Right. It, it may be OK in your freedom in Christ and you can drink responsibly and you're not moving to excess and you're not doing those things that the Bible warns about. But then the Bible does call us and gives us this principle that we don't want to be a stumbling block to others. And so you may be able to drink and, and not to excess and, and do it in a way that it's never getting to that place and you can do it responsibly. But you may be around some other people that it's going to lead them to a to take overtake or excess or it's going to be a stumbling block to them or it's going to continue to cause them issues in their life. And so the Bible would say die to yourself, love them more than you love yourself and don't do it. And so I think if you operate in those parameters that the Bible gives us, it's a pretty safe place to be in the middle of that. 
And so it's pretty clear. But if you've got questions about that or you want to talk more about that, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But that's just my sermon within the sermon because he says it here. Right. He does talk about alcohol and not drinking in excess. Don't get drunk. But there it is. Right. But why the comparison to alcohol? Why does he say here, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit? There seems to be a comparison. And I think there's something that Paul's talking about that makes perfect sense that he would say that. And it's in Acts chapter two. You know what happens in Acts chapter two? The disciples are praying and they're waiting. Jesus is now uh, resurrected. He's ascended. He tells them to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed on high with the Holy Spirit. And they're sitting around waiting. And in verse four, it says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in power and they are filled and they go out. And at this time in Jerusalem, people from every tribe, tongue and nation are in the city to celebrate Passover. And they've been there and they're there for for uh, to, to celebrate these festivals. And they're there from all these different places and they go out and the disciples begin to preach boldly the gospel, what Jesus has done what he's come and what he's accomplished and what he's done. And they begin to speak in different languages. So as they begin to speak in the languages that the people can understand in their own language, what is being said. And so imagine these guys come out and they're all excited and they're pumped up and there's a boldness and they begin to proclaim the gospel and they're speaking in all these different languages. And you know what it says in Acts chapter two? It says some were amazed and some were perplexed and some said mocking they are filled with new wine they're drunk right some of them saw them in the boldness and the which in the way in which they were talking in the way they said they're drunk and peter stands up and he goes no 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 we are not drunk it's only nine o'clock in the morning we're not drunk we've not been drinking and he begins to proclaim who jesus is and what he's done but they saw them in the way that they were acting in this boldness That they said, these guys are drunk. And so I want you to think about the the comparison for just a second. And maybe you've seen this at different times. That when people become intoxicated or they begin to drink too much, that sometimes that leads to inhibitions being lowered and a boldness or or a loudness. If you've ever been around that before, maybe you've seen that. Uh, As I was thinking about this, it reminded me of being a freshman in college. Uh, I lived in a dorm with a bunch of guys, uh, it was an interesting time for me in the first year. I was not a drinker, but I was around a lot of guys who were. By the way, that's, that's not a statement of my spiritual maturity. I didn't like the taste of alcohol. So I was like, I don't really have any use for this. Right. But a lot of people around me seem to and they drank quite a bit. And so what happens is you observe a lot of things when you're around a lot of people that are intoxicated and you are not. Right. It's an interesting thing that you suddenly start to observe some things Um, like for for one, uh, you think you're something you're not when you're drunk. A lot of times Uh, my roommate uh, that I lived with for a year would tell me frequently, I'm really, really funny when I'm drunk. No, he's not. (laughs) He's not funny at all. He just thinks he's funny when he's drunk. Right. When he was drunk, he was laughing a lot at what he said. But nobody else was right. And he thought he was really funny. Inhibitions are lowered. He's not seeing things as they are. And so he's really bold and loud and saying a lot of dumb things. He was actually really annoying when he was drunk. He was not funny. But second observation 
I saw with with these guys that I spent time with is it was around these guys that were very like uh, uh, I went to school in Texas, very like uh, kind of rough guys, like in terms of like I'm tough, no feelings, no anything. And suddenly they would start drinking and suddenly it would go from never sharing what they thought about anything, no feelings to a lot of I love you, man, a whole lot of that. I was grabbed many times by the shoulder. I just love you, man. Um, a lot of philosophizing, a lot of thinking about different things and kind of putting those out there. And so it would be interesting to watch that from from the outside kind of looking in, like as a sober minded person seeing this. And I had time to think about that through the years of why that was the case. Why was it like that? Uh, why would people who never show affection suddenly be I love you? Right. Or, or people who weren't really funny suddenly think they're really funny and these different things. And, and the truth is, alcohol changes the way we see things. It's a depressant that depresses part of our brain. And then it helps us to see or it shows us something that's not really true. And so we might have a confidence, but it's a false confidence. Right. You might think you're funny, even though you're not funny. And so what it does is it changes the way you operate. But what ends up happening is it can be very dangerous. And so Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Right. If it puts you in this place that depresses part of your brain and you have this idea that there's now an intimacy with people around you, that's not really earned. It's a false intimacy. And there's a problem that can come with that can get you in trouble. You may do things that you wouldn't do otherwise because you have this false intimacy now. Or, or you think you're funny or you're really a boldness or whatever it may be. It depresses part of your brain. So you're not seeing everything and it leads you to do these other things. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't give in to that counterfeit. Don't begin to operate in that way. But you can understand the comparison here as to why he would say that with being filled with the spirit, because there is a boldness. Right? They, they thought they were drunk in Acts 2 because they're suddenly so bold and proclaiming and saying all these things. And so you see the counterfeit there. But I want you to think about the contrast, what's not the same about it. Why he says, don't get drunk with alcohol. Don't settle for this counterfeit, but be filled with the Spirit. And so I want us just to think about what that means and how the Holy Spirit works and what the Bible tells us about that. And it tells us that when we come to faith, that we get the Holy Spirit in fullness. He alludes to that in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He talks about this in more detail in Romans chapter 8. You come to faith and you have the Spirit. And you have the very Spirit of God in fullness. And I want you to think about how that works and why. Because of what Jesus has done, you were separated from God before. Because of your sin. But now Jesus comes and he says, I will take your sin for you. I will do what you never did in living a perfect life, loving God perfectly and loving people perfectly. And then I will take your sin upon me and I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness and I will restore you to a relationship with the father. So the very presence of God can now come and live and have communion with you because of what Jesus has done. And so as you put your faith in Christ and you see that and you see your need, which is a working of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's opening your eyes to see who Jesus is. He's showing you this. He's teaching you along the way. But as you come to faith, you get the fullness of the Spirit. He comes and dwells with you and in you because you now have this perfect communion with God because you are clothed in Jesus righteousness and he has removed your sin. 
And so we now have the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul's talking about being filled with the Spirit, we need to think about what exactly he means. He's not saying you don't have all the Holy Spirit and you need to get a little more of the Spirit. You have the Spirit in full. It's not a second filling. It's not another. It's not a like unlocking cheat code. So now you get a little more of the Spirit as you go. You have the Holy Spirit when you come to faith. Right. So so here he is. You've, you've now in your life and he's indwelling you and he's with you. But notice what he says, and it goes with everything that we've been looking at in chapter four and chapter five, this walking uh, in the light and not the darkness and the new self, not the old self. All these ways that he's talking about it, he says in verse uh, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, you're a new creation. Yes, you've been made righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. Yes, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but you're still in your flesh. You still have the opportunity to go against the spirit indwelling and working in you. At different times, you have the opportunity to turn back to your old self. You have the opportunity to walk as the Gentiles do, alienated from the life of God. All those things that we've been looking at. But he says, no, don't do that. Be filled with the spirit. And so I want you to think about what exactly that means. What does it mean to be filled with the spirit in the way Paul is talking about it? And so when you think about just that idea of being filled, what does that mean? Uh, I immediately think of going to put gas in my car, right? You're almost out of gas. You understand that, right? There's a tank in your car that holds the gasoline and you go to the gas station, you put the pump in and you pump the gas, right? And it fills up your tank. Right? It was empty and then it's filled with gasoline. And, you know, there's a, the little thing on the end of the nozzle that tells you when it's completely filled and it clicks off so it doesn't spill everywhere. Right? But now it's filled. So there's no more room in your gas tank. It's just the gasoline that's filled with gasoline. And think about that image. You can we can understand that image. And I think the idea that he's talking about when he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is instead of giving rise to our flesh and letting that be part of what's guiding us and leading us. There's no more of that. We're just going to follow the spirit in everything. It's going to take over everything else to be filled with the very spirit of the Lord and to be able to see things in the way he's operating and the way he's working. And so I want you to think about what happens when that's the case and why he gives the contrast of being drunk. Don't be drunk. Don't take this counterfeit, but be filled with the spirit. How are they different? In the drunk being drunk with wine, it depresses part of your brain. You're not seeing things as they are. But as the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he's beginning to show you more. You're seeing all of it. You're seeing how things are and you're now seeing more. It's not a less. It's not false uh, view of who you are. It's not a false confidence. It's actually showing you the fullness of how everything is. And so as the spirit comes in, he begins to show you more. And I want you to think about how that works. I read for you just a second ago, John 16. John 16, Jesus is saying it's better for you. It's to your advantage. I go away because the spirit's going to come. And he's going to convict you concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he says he's going to magnify Jesus and he's going to take what is his and give it to you. Make it known to you. Take what is mine and give it to you. 
And he's showing you more of what there is. Instead of depressing part of it, he's expanding the way you see things. And so I want you to think about what that looks like. The Holy Spirit comes and it's going to begin to convict you concerning sin. Show you concerning righteousness and judgment. And what's going to happen is he does this and it's printed in our bulletin. I can't say it better than the way it's printed in our bulletin. There's prayers there as we lead up to communion every week. And I believe it's the prayer for someone who's coming to faith. And the way it's written in our bulletin is it says this. I am more sinful than I ever dared imagine, but I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. So it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a humble realism with a deep and abiding joy. A humble realism with a deep and abiding joy because the Spirit comes in and begins to convict us of sin. He exposes the areas of your heart that you hide from everyone. The things that you want to depress, the things that you don't want anyone to know or see. If people knew this about me, it'd be really scary. Or you'd have a hard time loving me if you knew this. Or I don't want anyone to know this about me. And the Spirit comes in and He knows all of it. And He begins to convict you of your sin. And that can be a scary thing when we start to to think about that. Conviction of sin can be scary. Rather just not think about it. But I want you to think of it this way. God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. And so He comes in and He begins to convict you and show you these things. This is the work of the Spirit. And to be filled with the Spirit means a healthy conviction of sin. But this is where learning what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in and convict you of sin and then tell you um, just heap guilt and shame and all that on top of it. That's not the work of the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is he convicts you of sin, but then he talks to you concerning righteousness and judgment, which is what in Jesus. You are made righteous because of what Christ has done for you. And so the spirit comes and takes what Jesus is and magnifies him and shows it to you. So, yes, it's a healthy conviction of sin. The spirit moves in us and he convicts us of sin. But then he immediately points you to how Jesus has taken your sin for you and how you can trust in him. And he's made you new and you can rest in that. And the judgment has fallen on Jesus and not you. And you can rest. And that's what it begins to look like to be filled with the spirit. It's a humble realism that I am more sinful than I ever dared imagine. But then he points you to Jesus and what he's done. I am more loved and accepted than I've ever dared hope. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. And this is what the work of the Holy Spirit is. It's to magnify Jesus. To show us clearly what it looks like of what Jesus has done in his finished work. And so we go, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It's a healthy conviction followed by look at what Christ has done. Look at what he has accomplished for you and how, who you now are in Jesus. This is a glorious thing to be filled with the Spirit. And I want you to think about the contrast. To be drunk on wine is I don't want to deal with these things. I don't want you to know these things about me. I can forget these things for a time and I can have a false sense of confidence because I'm not dealing with this. Paul says, no, 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 don't settle for that. 
but be drunk or filled with the spirit, which means he's going to come in and show you that I know everything about you, all your sin and all your guilt and all your shame. And I've dealt with all of it. And it's going to magnify Jesus as he begins to do that. God's great grace for you in Christ grows as you see that. So we say more sinful than I ever dared imagine, but more loved and accepted than I've ever dared hope. But I want you to notice right in the middle of this passage, there's a pretty severe warning. The Holy Spirit comes in full when you put your faith in Jesus. And then what the Spirit does is he convicts you and points you to Jesus and reminds you of that. And in doing so, as that happened, you're changed. You're experiencing more of God's grace. You're seeing greater and greater how loving and wonderful Jesus is and what he's done for you. And that grace changes you. He's shaping us and molding us as we see more and more of what Christ has done. But look at what he says right in the middle of this passage in, in verse five. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, I want to be clear what he's saying here. He says, if you are continuing in these things and there are no conviction of sin in any way in your life. You continue to sin in the same way that you sin before you pray to prayer, or you walk down the aisle or whatever it is, and nothing's changed. And you continue to live your life after idols. Idols are putting anything before God. You continue to live your life seeking uh, your identity through sex. Or whatever it may be. And I'm not talking about that you've sinned in one of these areas. We have all sinned and we all continue to struggle with sin, even in our newness of life. But if there is no conviction at all, no conviction of sin, he says, you do not have the inheritance. You're not going to be there. You're not in a saving relationship if nothing has changed. Because when you come to faith, the spirit comes in full. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you of sin and then he points you to Jesus and he continues to grow you in that. And if none of that is present, he says, there's no good reason to believe you're a believer. That's a pretty serious thing. And I want to be real careful when we say that. That doesn't mean that you're saved by your works. But what it means is your works and the way you're living and the conviction and then growing in obedience in that in your life is evidence that the Holy Spirit is work in your life, that you have them in your life. And if there's no evidence, there's no good reason to believe that. I know that's a pretty serious thing, but he says it right there in the middle. And so what we see here is the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to show you convicts you of sin and points you to Jesus. He shows you that you're more sinful than you ever dared imagine, but more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. And as you see that, as you see the love of Christ growing, being magnified in your life, obedience grows out of that. All that I have and all that I am is completely and totally by the work of Jesus and what he's done for me. And now I want to live my life for him. And that's what it looks like to be filled with, with the spirit. So it looks like that's what he's praying for us here. 
And so as we think about this, we're going to talk about it the next couple of weeks of how we grow in that. That's just kind of big picture, big idea, being filled with the spirit. And so we're going to come back to this for the next couple of weeks. But as we end today, a couple of things I just want us to consider. If you hear this and you think about what this is really saying. That God invades your life and he shows you that he loves you completely and totally and fully. He knows everything about you, every sin, all of it. He says, I've dealt with every bit of it. And now I love you completely and totally. You are more accepted and loved than you ever could dare hope. That's what it means to be filled with the spirit. Don't you want that? Isn't that better than a counterfeit of pretending you've got it all together? Of hiding kind of showing just a little part of who you are to different people because you don't want them to know what it's actually like. That the spirit comes in and knows all of it and blows it wide open and then shows you, I love you completely and totally and fully. And it's all because of Jesus. And so as you sit here today, maybe you're not sure of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or, or, Or maybe you're not sure of his evidence or maybe you're sure he's not in your life. Then you sit here and you go, I don't know that. I don't know a healthy conviction. I don't feel loved and accepted by God. I don't have that in my life. But my question is, don't you want that? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That you don't have to hide? And you know that God loves you completely and totally and it's all what Jesus has done and you can rest in that? And so if you sit here today and you go, I don't have that, but I would like that. I really would like that. If you feel that, if you hear, if that's you today, you know, yes, I don't have that, but I would like that. Do you know what that is? That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. Coming and going, I love you. And I want you to see what God has done for you in Jesus. And I want you to live inside of that glorious love and acceptance that comes only through what Jesus has done. And so the first step is real simple. You admit that you're in need. That humble realism. I am sinful. I am more sinful than I ever dared imagine. I desperately need a savior. I desperately need a God who would do for me what I cannot do for myself. That's the first step. And as you do, you realize that you seek him and you come to him, not on the grounds of you're a pretty good person. You don't come to him because God, hey, would you accept me? I got up this morning and came to church. Doesn't work that way. But you come to him with this in mind. Lord, I desperately need you receive me by grace because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. It's how this works. It's how it means to be filled with the spirit. It's because of what Christ has done and nothing else. But maybe you're here today and you go, I do know Jesus. And I do know the Holy Spirit. I do know the conviction. And I do know that he loves me. And I have experienced those things in my life. But maybe you're sitting here today and you go, but I'm really tired. And I'm really run down. And I'm kind of running on empty. I don't really feel that today. You're sure that you're a believer. And you know the love of Christ and you know the work of the Spirit in your life. But today you go, I don't feel like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's true of where you are today. And so can I just humbly say to you, if that's the case, maybe 
we've forgotten the grace of God in our life. If the work of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus, it begins there. I am more sinful than I ever dared imagine, but thankfully God has done what I could never do for myself in Jesus. So look to Jesus and the grace of God that he's given us in him. That's where it begins. Sometimes we can get into, I want to chase, I want to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to go sing a song for 30 minutes. That might be great. I'm not saying that's wrong. But the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit is to magnify Jesus and the grace of God and what he's done for us. And so if you're struggling with that right now, I would just simply say to you, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one that will meet you in that and will begin to be a fullness through what the Spirit does, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It magnifies Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious gift of your person and presence in our life in the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you come and that you love us enough to convict us of sin, but you love us all the more to continue to point us to what Jesus has done for us. I pray this morning for those that might be struggling with just uh, trusting in you in all things. Trusting that they're truly your child. I pray that you would make more real to us this week. That we are more sinful than we ever dared imagine. But that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And it's all because of what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.